Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition for episode 150, the penultimate episode of Isaiah. Ooh, here wow. we go. Here we We're are. almost there. Yes. So, so yeah. this, I mean, based on historical evidence from Drunk Bible Study, this is kind of our last chance to really talk about anything because next week's going to be the quiz and us failing horribly at it. So, you know, that's I, that's kind of where a we're B at. Is B minus a fail? Well, you're the I one who predicted like, we would do a lot worse than a B minus this time. You're so. right. Okay, fine. Then we might actually fail it. I don't know. Well, okay. Can we get like overall impressions of Isaiah? Oh, yeah. Okay. From because we're here. Like, I'm interested yeah. to see what you mm. two think of it. Okay. Sort of like a funnel cake. It was really exciting and fresh when we first started. And now that we're most of the way through the funnel cake, I'm a little sick to my stomach and want to move on to other foods. Like a corn dog or something. Maybe that's how most Bible books are. Perhaps. Yeah. Again, when we started, it was like, oh, whoa, he's doing all this trippy imagery and he's just prophesying and and there's not necessarily a ton of narrative. It's just kind of floating around. And that was cool at first. And now that we've been through a lot of that, and a lot of it's quite confusing. And I think our audience is also getting confused. I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. time to move on to greener pastures. How about you, Jess? I mean, the thing is with Isaiah, I really didn't know what to expect, right? Like he's someone who's quoted a lot in the New Testament, like we've talked about, like in researching in the bonus episodes and stuff, that he's the and most... The, the Messiah. Right. That he's... favorite song ever. He's the most quoted prophet in the New Testament which I probably have interacted with more in my life than the book of Isaiah itself, more like references to. Same with the Messiah, right? Where the Messiah mostly pulled from Isaiah and Revelation for the words, which is a weird combination. So excited, so excited, so excited. Yeah. Uh, What if it sucks? I'm going to be sad. (laughs) I know. What if it's like really boring? It's not. It's just like, and then, you know, an angel with a hundred eyes showed up and was like, hey, what's up? And everyone was like, that's not not boring. Like the words, a (laughs) hundred eyes with an angel attached to those eyes. It's not boring. Okay. It's exciting as hell. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, I don't know. I found it interesting to just to get kind of some more context on Isaiah who gets quoted all the time, like what he was really all about which I think has been interesting, but I agree. It's been too much of the same thing. I actually think it's finally a little more interesting now. I think once we got to Deutero-Isaiah, it got a lot better, but I think Proto-Isaiah just burned us so hard that it's been hard mm. to kind of have enthusiasm for him again. I think I said this uh, before we started the episode, but reading Isaiah is like watching the Tree of Life. Like, it's too cerebral. It's too out it's there. impenetrable. Yeah, exactly. It's not accessible. And I really appreciate the parts of the Bible that are super accessible because it's like, okay, I understand what's happening here. That's why I think those parts that are quoted or that are known in, you know, the grand scheme of (laughs) culture, that is the thing that people go back to over and over again because it's accessible. And this, not so much. No, and... What would you count, and just first answer that comes to the top of your head is fine, but what would you count as, like, so far the most accessible part of the Bible? The Ark. and Noah, Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark. <laughs> or the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> the Noah's Ark. Okay. And then Moses, the story of Moses. Oh, I was going to tell the two of you. This last weekend, when I went and visited my family, we took a drive to a safari park that was not far away. That's for some reason in the middle of rural Oregon. Don't ask me why. But huh. right next door to the safari park 
was this huge long building that was a restaurant, but it was painted and designed on the outside to look like Noah's Ark. Whoa. Like almost to scale. As in this really, really huge long building, they built like a prow and a stern off of the side of it. And they painted like (laughs) little animal photos or little animal pictures on it. It was wild. And I couldn't even get it in a, a... picture to do it justice to show the two of you mm. wow Jeez. yeah i was gonna say i'm really angry at you now for not getting <laughs> pictures of this but yeah i, I tried it was yeah. hard it was just a little too too epic wow too epic to be uh, it wasn't open film. though so it, yeah it wasn't open so i couldn't visit oh, it dang well there you go so exactly i mean that's the thing that you tell to little baby children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is a good fantastical story because they're like oh it's a fun little ark with animals on it and then they're crackers and i can eat them yum <laughs> <laughs> oh i see okay i was so, confused for Jace, a second i know you said this is our last chance to talk about like serious isaiah stuff but can we talk about camels Oh, sure. Well, so hold on, though, real quick, though, something I wanted to say, Emily, you keep referencing the Tree of Life in regards to Isaiah. Uh, because it's it's also like a God movie. It's a God movie. There's some God in it. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and dinosaurs. But, you know, we don't talk about that because <laughs> did dinosaurs exist? Or, oh, no, they were like around at the same time as people, right? For for God people? Okay, I'm going to interpret what you just said. I think what you were asking is... <laughs> for those who don't believe in evolution. Right. For Do Christians believe, do certain Christians believe that dinosaurs exist at the same time as people? Correct. And yes, certain Christians do believe that. Not all Christians. I would argue a minority of them. Not everybody. Okay. But I don't have hard okay. numbers on that. Cool. Here's what I learned. There is a translation of the Bible, a newish translation called the Tree of Life translation of the Bible. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm never going to read that. Well, Great. here's the thing. Actually, in reading about it, it actually sounds kind of interesting and, and actually kind of in line with kind of what I, almost what I found our show doing, right? So like we set out huh. to read the Bible coming from the point of view of a culture that's dominated by Christianity and Dedeker and I being raised Christian and kind of trying to understand it and interpret it. But what I found as we're reading through the Old Testament, that like really, really it's it's about like we're learning about Judaism, right? Because that's that's all these people are. That's all the people writing it. Mm. That's all the people putting it together, right? Like this is a Jewish book. Yeah. And that later we'll get into the Christian parts in the New Testament. But right now it's kind of like we're what I keep finding is that we're really needing to catch up and learn a lot more about Judaism because to the characters in this story, that's what matters to them, not mm. all the stuff that Christians have decided about it later. But for them living, you know, these characters, Isaiah and, you know, Moses and whoever, like they're Jews. And so it's like we've kind of yeah. had to learn more about that. So the Tree of Life, their deal, the Tree of Life translation of the Bible is... And maybe this is super problematic. I don't know. I haven't read it. I don't know their political affiliations or whatever. But it's a translation of the Bible that is Christian, right? So that's still, there's the Messiah and Jesus and the New Testament and all that. It's still the Christian Bible. But they're specifically trying to do the translation in what they call a Jewish-friendly voice. Okay. A voice like the Bible authors themselves would have felt about it. Uh, and that includes some, you know, word changes, like they're very respectful of not saying Yahweh, but of like being respectful of like yod heh and like not writing out mm. God's name in ways that the Jews wouldn't do mm. and calling Jesus Yeshua instead, you know, kind of using more Jewish terms for things. 
but it's still a, a Christian Bible. And their Old Testament is in the Jewish order of books. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. Again, I, like I said, it could be super problematic politically or, or culturally or whatever. I don't know. I mean, it's all, you know, pictures of white people who are involved in it. Yeah, I which, guess it depends on context and intent and who's involved and a lot of complicating factors that I don't think is going to be our job to right. decide. Mm-hmm. But the idea is interesting, at least. And it is available on Bible Study Tools and Bible Gateway. So we could check it out sometime, like add it to our list of other translations we check out if we ever wanted to. We can see. Makes sense. Okay. But in the meantime, now camels, I want to know camels. about camels. I'm sorry. Camels. Yeah. camels. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. First, I'm going to give you just some general camel facts to set the scene. But then I'm going to let you know about biblical camels in particular because, wow, I found some interesting and controversial stuff. <laughs> good, okay. Good. Was not expecting it. So, two types of camels in the world the dromedary, as was mentioned Single in our reading, and that's hump. a one hump. One hump. Okay. And then the Bactrian camel. Multiple humps. Double hump. Double hump. You got it. Humpty hump. Yes. So dromedaries come from like the Arabian Peninsula and Africa for the most part. And Bactrian camels come from Central and East Asia. So you can't ride a dromedary, can you? Unless you sit upon this hump. You can probably sit in front of it. That is how people ride a dromedary camels by sitting on the hump. Oh, they do. Up way up on top. Okay, cool. Yes. Whoa. I don't want to... I feel bad sitting on the hump. Why? I want to sit in between the humps so I can <laughs> grab the hump okay, in front okay. of me and hug it. So you're saying you you would not be okay riding a dromedary camel? I don't know. Maybe it would be fine. It just seems like unruly. It seems like I, you know, would fall off. Maybe there's a my impression a big saddle is like any yeah. Anytime I've seen someone actually riding a camel, they seem to have a little setup up there. It's not like yeah. they just plop you bareback. On the hump. Right. And say, good luck. Yeah, yeah. You, you get a little setup, I think, that helps make it a little bit more comfortable. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I did I did just find there's a WikiHow article with illustrations on how to ride a camel. <laughs> yeah, I found and that too. I'm sure there is. Goodness. <laughs> how to ride a camel. Um, step one, getting on the hump. That's where kind of the, the level yeah, we're at. You need here. a step stool for sure. Uh-huh. So there is a difference in numbers between the two species. So there's about 2 million Bactrian camels in the world, but there's about 14 million dromedaries mm, okay. in the world. So single hump is more popular, it's hot. I guess. Yeah, okay. It's more hot. It's more successful. Now... It's so hot right now. Let's talk about camels in the Bible. Okay. So camels are mentioned in the Bible 47 times. The dromedary specifically Only is mentioned 47, in the 47 times. Yes. So especially when we're looking at the stories of the patriarchs of Abraham, Joseph, Jacob, that there was a lot of mentions of them owning camels. Mm-hmm. Camels and sheep and donkeys and stuff like that, but, you know, owning camels. Right. Okay. However, there were two Israeli archaeologists who used radiocarbon dating and looked at a bunch of excavations and found that domesticated camels didn't actually arrive in that part of the world until much, much, much later. Ah, oh, shoot. Yeah. Ah, oh, shoot. Yeah. Oh, so wait, they don't exist. So at the None. time that they're first mentioned in the Bible, they technically don't even exist. Uh-oh. Yeah, and so this archaeozoologist, which I didn't even know was a job description until just this Does moment. Sound great. Of course. This archaeozoologist was mentioning about the doing this study that was able to 
narrowed down the range in which they knew that domesticated camels showed up to like a period of 30 years, essentially, like surprisingly accurate. So they place it sometime between 930 and 900 BC. Now, what they also found from looking at these various excavation sites is they found that that period coincides with the invasion of a pharaoh whose name I may butcher, and I'm so sorry, to him, but his name was Shashank the first. Shashank. That's good. I Shashank. like that. Shashank the first. Good. In the Bible, he was written as Shishak. Shishakin. Oh, we've Shishakin. We've seen Shashak. Have we? Yeah, that name's come. Oh, up. have we? Yes. Yes. Really? And uh, well, I mean, there might were... have been multiple Shashaks, but well, I guess that makes sense though, because we're after the time of Abraham and Joseph and Jacob. Mm, true. Yes. Okay. And these archaeologists are wondering if the introduction of domestic camels is connected to this invasion of the pharaoh. Right. They're, they're theorizing... The pharaoh just had a ton of camels? Well, they're theorizing that maybe there was a lot of copper business in the area, and they're wondering if after the pharaoh took over, they're like, oh, introducing some camels would be a much better way to transport all this mm. copper. So bring in the camels, boys. Okay, great. Bring them are in. Are they able to... They're like horses. They can like carry great yeah, they, weights. Yeah, they can pack animals or can be used as pack animals. Yeah. And there was a really interesting article in Time, actually, from 2014, talking about this. This was right when the study came out that, you know, made this claim of like, "Eh, actually, probably no real camels in the Bible, where the article talks about how it's yet another instance of kind of biblical anachronisms, things not being quite accurate, timelines and history not quite lining up in the way that historians understand them. And they point out the fact that, you know, we have to bear in mind that the people writing the Bible had a much different purpose in their writing, that it was less about, I'm going to write out a totally accurate history, and it's more about, I'm going to see what we can learn from writing about history, right. what we can learn from looking back at history. So therefore, it's maybe not exactly important that I make it 100% accurate to what actually happened. I can put some camels in there because now you today, yeah. reading this, understand what camels mean. And camels means success. So what you're well. saying is that the writers who put camels in the Bible are doing exactly the same thing that Eugene Peterson did in putting cruise liners and skyscrapers in the Bible. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Exactly. This is a long lineage that okay. Eugene is adding to. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like that perspective. Now, what I did appreciate about the Time article though because I, I think that my stance on this tends to be like, uh, well, uh, this feels like it makes it less believable, right? Less likely that I want to put my faith in this when there's obviously so many errors and so much human manipulation and things like that. But what this writer pointed out is that this is more of an interpretation. It's kind of like we look at Da Vinci's The Last Supper and we don't see that as, oh, this is an accurate portrait of exactly what happened. We know it was painted centuries later. We know it's weird. They're all on one side of the table, you know, (laughs) Uh but that doesn't prevent us from still trying to look at what the artist's message was about what was going on in this scene. And so okay, yeah. that taken, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Sure. So camels I I equal Da Vinci's The Last Supper? Yeah, so camels equals The Last Supper. And now if you <sighs> want a, just a really nice little, just a little like endorphin dopamine boost, I really recommend looking up like camel baby pictures <gasps> on the internet. Both, oh, do do both. Look up dromedary camel babies and also Bactrian camel babies. I cannot tell which one is cuter. They're both cute in different ways. And so I really okay. would love to hear from all y'all 
what you think because it's very important. But yeah. that's the end of my TED Talk on camels in the Bible. I, I just, don't know if I've ever seen a baby camel. <laughs> oh, that's really I've cute. only seen big boy camels. <laughs> They're both really cute as babies oh as it goodness. turns out. I just want to hit you with one thing I learned about camels from this WikiHow article. And that's step number three. Do not try to control the animal. Unfortunately, camels won't listen. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> it's like not a very good animal to ride. So here's I the deal. scared for my health. Yes. Here's the deal. Apparently, according to this WikiHow article with amazing illustrations, really go look it up. It's amazing. But it says camels will only listen to their master and will follow the camel ahead of them, but they will not listen to you. So don't even try. You're just going to annoy the camel. uh, Who is the master versus you? You are not the master? I think this is written kind of more for like you're a tourist who's going to some country with camels and you're riding one. Right, so don't don't pretend like you know what to do with the camel. If you've been on a horse, don't think you can do the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's not like my mom could get on a camel and be like, this is like a horse. I'm going to be able to ride this in such a I mean, I think not. your mom could certainly like scold and shame the camel into behaving like a horse and <laughs> maybe and listening to know. her. <laughs> I don't know. No, actually, this she really emphasizes least... how much they're not like horses, which I think is good to emphasize because a lot of people, myself included, would probably assume that they operate pretty similar to horses. But like yeah. the gait's totally different. The way you sit on them is very different. Like you don't hold a steady frame on them. You have to sway with them because of their weird gait. And like there's just a lot of differences to riding a horse. Also, there's this one illustration for step five, which is to wait out any spooked or panicked camels with calm, even words. <laughs> Ooh, it's okay, baby. It's okay. And it's a picture of this freaking this bro in his freaking t-shirt and shorts and and sandals with like lines coming out of his mouth as if he's like, you know, like blowing. <laughs> as if he's like oming he's onto the camel. On the cam- right. Yeah, and the he's camels, on the camel. And the camel's kind of like rearing back, but like looking back at him like, oh, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling better now. It's oh, like in Red Dead Redemption too. Yeah. yeah, when you're like, whoa, boy, whoa, it's okay. Yeah. Like essentially that. My girl. <laughs> oh, did y'all have a girl? I had a girl. My girl. Yeah. Okay. I had a boy. Okay. Yeah, well, me too. All right. I'm going to talk about vines Do and it. vine dressers um, because it's a real job, everyone. It's a real, real job. On crone.com, I learned all about vine dressers. It's an agriculturist involved in the daily pruning and cultivation of grapevines. How lovely. But it's a centuries-old profession, and it is mentioned in the Bible, as we saw. And actually, it's mentioned way more in the New Testament. And it's interesting to me because other translations of the Bible don't talk about vine dresser in Isaiah. They're just like the pruning of the vines or something along those lines. It's not that specific to vine dresser. Got it. But then they talk like way about it just all over the frickin' place in the New Testament. So we'll get there. I'm sure that we'll hear about this thing again. But yeah, they do a lot of things. They prune. Mm-hmm. They prune the uh, the grapevines, cane and spur pruning. So essentially it takes into consideration the shape and consistency of the vine to make it really pretty. It's very, very essential. It removes the dead, diseased, or stunted fruits to make way for new growth. Very important. 
Uh, pest management, also very important. So keeping pests away from the burgeoning vines. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about this a lot in the fact that a lot of wine out there is not vegan because some wines, when they're being produced, will like gather up things like pests oh. into the the grape. And so you're drinking the pest long with the grape. And that's not vegan, everyone, because you're drinking bugs. Also a little gross. I mean I mean to be fair. Yes, but like Charles Schwa, for example, Tubuck Chuck they're not going to be as specific and as careful in their maintaining of the vine as they would in, you know, I don't know, a more expensive, specifically vegan wine. You should know, though, that the FDA does allow a certain amount of insect parts yes, to be I in know. pretty much all foods. I know they do. I know. But I try not to think about that too hard. <laughs> not too hard. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Also, irrigation so they're closely monitoring the vineyards to make sure that mm -hmm. the vines are receiving the correct amount of water and irrigation during the growing season. And then also they deal with the harvest. So the grapes must grow five to six months before it's time to harvest. And then the vine dresser chooses to employ mechanical assistance or handpick the grapes. Handpicking sounds arduous and challenging. Yeah. But uh, also kind of a labor of love. You know, I, imagine. I have to say, yeah, I, one of the best wines that I've ever had in my life, I went to this like one guy in Santa Barbara, uh, my partner and I went on a wine tour and we met this like guy in a vineyard who had produced like very small batches of wine and he himself like handpicked the grapes and stuff like that. Wow. And I'll tell you. That shit was good. It was really, <laughs> really good. Um, I like my wine, and I'd like to think that I'm getting to be a bit of a connoisseur because I taste a lot of wine at work, uh, and I try, you know, wines that are vegan that are not very good at all, and some wines that are like old world wines that I really enjoy. And this guy, he knew his stuff. It was lovely. Nice. So that's what a vine dresser does. We're going to meet more of them in the New Testament, which is going to be many, many years from now, but we will. And that's that's actually a good segue. One last thing that the reason why I discovered the Tree of Life Bible is because I was looking uh -huh. into Bible translations specifically because someone in the chat during the live show asked about the Tyndale Bible and when Tyndale's mm. going to come back. Are they? The answer is Tyndale did do all of the New Testament. So once we get there, we will have Tyndale back. Whoa. As for the Old Testament, there is only one more book that he did a translation of, and that's the book of Jonah. Jonah. So when we get to Whoa. Jonah, we will get to enjoy a little dose of Tyndale until we get to the New Testament, <sighs> and then we have him back for realsies. Sweet. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's you, Jace. Thank you all so much for joining us for this bonus episode. Please, we will see you next week for the final. That's it. The final episode of Drunk Bible the Study. Final, I mean, that's it. The final episode of Drunk Bible Study. No, wouldn't that be awful if we ended after it? After Isaiah, we quit. Yeah. We're like, we're done with this shit. We're done. <laughs> oh, no, we can't do uh, that. Yeah, so join us next week for the last episode of Isaiah. And then we will be moving on to Jeremiah, who may or may not have been a bullfrog. See you next week.